0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. When we, along with Peter and the apostles and with all the Christian church throughout history, confess that Jesus is the Christ, we are making a remarkable confession. Now, Jesus is more than the Christ. He is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the eternal Word of God, the Lamb of God, God in flesh, the Alpha and Omega, and so forth. But he is certainly not less than the Christ. This term Christ is loaded with all sorts of content of which we hear just a brief overview during our midweek Advent time. It means anointed one. Anointed one. It's the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one of God to fill not only one office, but three offices. Prophet, priest, and king. To be anointed by God in the Old Testament was to be one of those three things. But, amazingly, Jesus, in his baptism in the River Jordan, he steps into not one office, but all three offices for us and for our salvation. And so tonight we take up this second office, Jesus as priest. The text that I read for you this evening was a portion of Psalm 110. It's a Psalm of David, which prophesies of the enthronement of the one whom David calls Lord. And it's especially appropriate to our topic because it's what's considered a messianic psalm. This is what's going to occur as God reigns in the world through his Messiah, the one whom we call Christ and Lord. Now the psalm primarily refers to Jesus' kingship and his dominion over all things. So it would definitely apply to next week's instruction. But smack dab in the middle of it, we have this little verse in which God the Father speaks something that he speaks to no one else. He says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He's speaking this to Jesus Christ, our Lord, of course. These are words that are unique to him. They are unique to him. They do not apply to you and I. These are words that would remind you, especially if you were an Israelite, they would remind you of of the Old Testament office. Because no one would take this office of priest to himself. You had to be of a certain tribe, right? Levi, Levi. You had to be called by God. You had to be anointed. But in the hundreds of years of the succession of the Aaronic priestly line, God never said anything of this sort to any of those guys. He only says it to Christ. The author of Hebrews writes this in chapter 5. He says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed By him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So something special is taking place in the priesthood of Jesus that is not the case for the Aaronic line. So what what exactly is God revealing about this one we call Christ? Particularly with respect to his priesthood. God is saying that Jesus is a priest of a different class and order than that of Aaron. He's in another ballpark. Jesus did not need to descend from the tribe of Levi to fulfill this office. He came into it in another way, in the way of Melchizedek. Now, other than being a really fun name to say, who is Melchizedek? what's his significance in scripture who is this mysterious figure and he is mysterious Mel- melchizedek is this priest king of salem in genesis chapter 14 he appears out of nowhere if you've ever read the lord of the rings series tom bombadil is is a representative of melchizedek tom bombadil literally appears pops up out of nowhere and then disappears as quickly as he comes and everybody's left wondering who is this character Tolkien knew his Old Testament. He puts that character in there just to confuse everybody, but that's supposed to be Melchizedek, right? But here's what happened. Here's what we know about him. Abram had just won a major military victory. He rescued Lot and several of his kinsmen. And this priest king of Salem comes out to bless Abram and to share a meal of bread and wine. He blesses Abram partially fulfilling God's promise to Abram to bless him. And before he leaves, Abram gives him a tenth of everything uh, as a tithe unto the Lord. And that's it. We don't know how he became priest. We don't know how he became a a king of this place called Salem. We just know that the scriptures call him a priest of the Most High God. His priesthood was unchallenged. Abram The man of God, called by God, he acknowledged it. He paid a tithe in recognition of his priesthood. Jesus' priesthood is like that. Its origins are from of old. It is by divine appointment of God. And there are reasons for this, which is how we're going to spend the rest of our time here these reasons that I outlined for you, they are related to the functions of the office itself. What is it that a priest was called to do for God's people? Well, there are several, but time would fail us. Here are the basics. First, the priest was called to bless. Bless. We see this in Melchizedek's ministry who blessed Abram both in his, in his words and in his busting out of the Eucharistic meal there on the spot. But also we hear from the scriptures that the Aaronic priesthood was called to place God's name upon people in blessing. And that's where we get the Aaronic benediction that you hear every Sunday, right? The Lord bless you and keep you and so forth. In this blessing, there was the promise of God's continual An abiding presence. So the priest had this authority to bless in this way. Now Jesus Christ is in a different ballpark. Jesus Christ is our great high priest who has placed God's name upon us, not in a temporal way, but an eternal way. This is why it's important that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek because Jesus' priesthood is not bound by flesh and blood and he has received his priestly functions from eternity. His blessings last unto eternity. He has placed God's name upon you in the waters of holy baptism. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He has promised you God's abiding presence even unto the end of the age. He brings the blessings of eternal life and salvation through the Eucharistic meal of bread and wine, which are his own body and blood for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And because his priesthood has eternal origins, we know that he is able to be present in the meal in a way that no other human could be. So the priest's first function is to bless, and we see that Jesus is in a different ballpark than the Aaronic priesthood, and he blesses us eternally. Now, the second function of the priesthood is to intercede, namely through prayer. Now, for the rest of Israel in the Old Testament, this is not to say that they were not called to pray, that that's just the stuff that the priest did. In fact, God called them in Exodus 19, he called them a kingdom of priests. So, in a sense, All of them were called to offer prayers on their own behalf and on behalf of others. But here's the difference. They did not have the same access to God that the high priest did. Only the high priest would be permitted in the the holiest of places in the temple. Only he was permitted to go behind the curtain and offer up liturgical prayers and intercession on behalf of the people. Everything that he did, down to the vestments that he wore, spoke to his representative role in the life of Israel. You should go look it up whenever you get home. Um, just go check out high, uh, Old Testament High Priest Vestments. It's interesting. He has a, a a breastplate, and on top of the breastplate, there's a thing called the ephod, right? And this ephod has 12 unique stones on it representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, on, on his turban, he has a plate that says, holy unto the Lord, right? Which makes sense of all that forehead language that we see in the New Testament. Um, but it's really interesting. He is fully representative of all of God's people. He is in this mediating role that no one else in Israel occupied, and he was called to use that for the benefit of the people. Now, Jesus is in a different ballpark. Jesus is not only able to stand in for Israel because he is Israel reduced to one, but he is also able to represent the entire world as he makes intercession for us before God. Hebrews 5 says that he did this with his life on earth. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and being made perfect through suffering. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because his priesthood is not bound by time nor by flesh and blood, he intercedes for the entire world. And he not only did this with his life and death, but also now in his resurrection and ascension. Hebrews 4 says that Jesus is the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. So here's the idea. In his resurrection and ascension, he goes before us into the heavenly places, much like that high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. But remember, Jesus is in a different ballpark. He goes into the heavenly places itself, the heavenly courtroom to intercede for us. Jesus prays for you and for me by name. Jesus prays for the whole church on earth. So the function of the priest was to bless, was to intercede, and finally, to make sacrifices. I cannot possibly overstate this point. I think it's one that's often lost on us. The priests of the Old Testament had a disgusting and difficult job. You ever watch Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs? It's like that, times 12. There was this constant churn of, of various animals being brought to the temple to be given as burnt offerings or sin offerings. And Leviticus lines out for us the various rituals which would accompany these special sacrifices. It was hard work that occurred round the clock. They had a rotation of these guys who were continually offering up sacrifices. Why would God establish such a system? Because sin was that serious. Sin is that serious that continual flow of blood from the temple, the entrails and the bodies that had to be burned constantly, all of it a reminder of the horrific nature of sin. We tend to think of the priests as holy men who could not get their hands dirty. Think of them more as butchers who would go on and on, over and over until something more perfect would be offered. So then came Jesus, the perfect priest after the order of Melchizedek. Then came Jesus, the one who alone was authorized to make an offering that would be sufficient not only for Israel, but for the whole world in one fell swoop, with one sacrifice, himself. Here's Hebrews again, chapter seven. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, those butchers who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. On the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. All the blood flowing from the temple would dry up. This this sacrifice was perfect, pure, and spotless, sufficient to cover every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. So rejoice today that you have such a Christ. You have one who was anointed by God to be a priest, not in the Aaronic line, but after the order of Melchizedek. He's in a different ballpark for you and for your salvation. Rejoice that because of this, you have his enduring blessing of eternal life in the presence of God. You have one who makes continual and perfect intercession for you at God's right hand even now as I speak. And you have one whose sacrifice is perfect and eternal such that you cannot outsin its power no matter how hard you try. You have Jesus, our great high priest, whom you confess as Christ, the Son of God. And as you confess his name, brothers and sisters, he confesses yours before his Father in heaven, where it is written for eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen.